It should be a heck of a lot of fun because we cover a wide variety of topics. Uh, everything from uh, development to construction to um, rentals and uh, property ownership uh, to running a brokerage and so much more. Today's guest is Cameron Van Cly of uh, Chilliwack, British Columbia. Cam is someone that we've got to know very well over the better part of the last few months and uh, definitely is an inspiration if you're looking to diversify, run a number of successful businesses and generally still run a fantastic quality of life. Uh, Cam is one of the owners or the primary owner of Century 21 Creekside, a real estate brokerage in Chilliwack, British Columbia. But he also, as I mentioned, uh, has experience developing, building, and owning rental properties. I think this episode is going to strike the chord of you no matter what direction you're coming from, if you're looking to run a business, if you're looking to develop, uh, to purchase rental properties. And there is just so much to take away that I don't even know where to start with this intro. Always, I want to remind you that the team here at Thrive Mortgage Co. is excited to present the YBR podcast. Myself, Alex McFadden, Dean Lawton, and Derek Williamson, and our whole entire team uh, is looking for new clients to help and support when it comes to your real estate and investing or just home buying goals, whatever that could be. Um, if you have any questions, you want to find out more about us or otherwise, check us out online at thrivemortgage.ca or Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. If you're loving the show, make sure to send it out to one or two people that you know that might love it and leave us a five-star review in iTunes. Enjoyed the episode. We'll see you on the other side. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Mr. Cameron Van Cly, welcome to the show today, my friend. Excited and thankful to have you come join us here today. Uh, we've had this one in the works here for a few weeks. And, well, I mean, we have a lot to cover in a relatively short amount of time. We were just talking about this before the show and before the episode. Where, Oh, man, where do we even start with you? Where do we even go? And I'm kind of at the point right now where I want to start calling you the Swiss Army knife of real estate. What do we call you here? Do we call you developer, realtor, owner? What do what, you prefer as your primary... Uh, you know, title, Mr. Mr. Van Cly. It's actually funny. So like if I go on vacation, people are like, hey, what do you do? So <laughs> I was like, uh oh, well, like, what do I pick? Um, and now I just say I'm involved in real estate because it's kind of the overarching, like, I do real estate. Um, but you know, my personality type, it like depends on who you're talking to. Like if I'm in a, with a bunch of carpenters, I own a construction company. And with a bunch of realtors, I sell real estate. If I'm with a bunch of owner brokers, I own a real estate company. Um, and then if you're with, you know, landlords, I, I own real estate. So I do all of the above. Mr. Real Estate, we'll call you. Mr. Real Estate, that's weird, but sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the beginnings of getting into real estate as a whole. I mean, one of the things that a lot of people talk about it, when it comes to real estate or relatively uh, new agents in our space is that age can matter, which we obviously know is a fallacy because pretty much anybody at any time can get involved in real estate. Um, you started quite young in your real estate career. So take us back and let us know maybe a quick little uh, summary of what got you what got you excited about real estate as opposed to something else. Grew up, yeah, I say immigrant family. I mean, my mom was born in Canada. My dad was born in Holland, but hardworking family. My dad owned a construction development business. And so uh, not by choice, but probably more by force, I would have to be on the job site for most of my childhood, uh, which is evenings, weekends, summer holidays, Christmas holidays, spring break. So it taught me work ethic. I hated it, but it taught me work ethic. And that's what I was surrounded with. 
Um, I mean, I haven't told this story to a lot of people, but when I was 14, me and my friends went into the forest with an axe uh, and we actually built a cabin and it's still standing today. Um, and so, so building was in my blood from a young age. Um, but I went to school and I was decently smart and I really enjoyed sports. And so if that's who you are, your choices in life are to become a teacher or a doctor or a physiotherapist. So I did one semester at UFV and I played university volleyball, um, and decided that that was not the life for me. I wanted to be a doctor and I couldn't see doing, doing 10 years of school. Um, and it was really hard. I didn't like physics, calculus, chemistry, biology, all at the same time. And so I dropped out of university and I went back to the job site. And that's when my entrepreneurial spirit probably came alive because no one had talked about that in high school to that point. I didn't know what that was, but I knew if I went to the job site, I could go back to my, I forget at the time, $15, $17 an hour job. And if I saved my money, I could buy a rental house. I could build a house. There was lots of options available. So that kind of like that started real estate for me a little bit. Okay. So you started the real estate journey before becoming a real estate agent. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So I dropped out of university, uh, went back to the job site, uh, and then I signed up for BCIT right away. And so I was like, well, I might as well get, you know, a skilled trade. So I did three years of my apprenticeship program uh, at BCIT. They gave me my builder's license, but I didn't go back for fourth year. Um, so I'm a non-graduated carpenter that has his builder's license. And that was by age 21, I think. Have the requirements changed a lot over time to get a builder's license? Because that seems kind of odd that they gave it to you so quickly. Or is that because you actually had so much knowledge on the building side of things? They actually sent someone out to meet with me on the job site. And I had I'd been on a job site since I was like a kid. And so I remember going to BCIT and I didn't understand how all of the people in my course didn't know anything about construction. Um, and I just knew way more than I thought. So they sent someone out to a job site and I walked through what we do and what kind of what it looks like. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're good to go and signed off on it almost immediately for me. Learning by osmosis, being on the job, being around construction, and then obviously having the opportunity to get into doing this for BCIT, seeing seeing where you were at probably gave you a lot of confidence to proceed in terms of just generally speaking, getting involved in real estate. So what was your, I guess, first foray after that? I was young and I didn't have the money to get into buildings. It's an expensive thing, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Like there's a lot of money involved to get there. Um, but ironically, like we live in the Pacific Northwest and it sucks to work outside. And so as much as I went back to the job site, I didn't love it. I'll, I'll never forget. I counted down the minutes to coffee break and then the minutes to lunch break and the minutes to the next coffee break. And I would even start calculating how much I was worth per minute. I'd be like, okay, so I'm shoveling. I'm making 13 cents a minute. Um, and so I knew I didn't like it, but I was doing it because I didn't know anything else still. Um, and I mean, I tell the story to a lot of people, but I'll never forget it. There was just, I was November. It was pouring rain. I was digging a trench in the front yard of a house in Promontory. Uh, white car comes up, umbrella pops out. There's a girl in high heels and she tiptoes past me. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and I didn't know anything about becoming a realtor other than I wanted to make money. I didn't want to be in the cold and I liked people. And so I signed up for my real estate course that night, I passed it six months later. At the time you needed 65% to pass and I got 66%. Um, so if I would have failed, I wouldn't be here today. My ego would have been too big where I would have been screw that industry. I'll do something else. Um, but I got lucky enough to get into real estate at that time too. So you got involved in real estate, uh, started selling homes probably relatively quickly after that or working to sell homes. We, know, we all know how fun that is when you get started. And, <laughs> and so tell us, you know, we, we're going to talk a little bit about your diversification today, whether it be rentals, developing construction and so forth. So 
Uh, it sounds to me like the real estate agent uh, position or, or opportunity was the one that kind of catapulted you from an income standpoint, got you involved in day to day and allowed you to earn a greater income, I would imagine, uh, compared to what you were doing before on the dollars per hour. So I guess, where did your, your interest now in the real estate space, how did that transition into your next investment opportunity, whether that was like, again, what, what was your first investment opportunity, really? What I found was real estate was my favorite thing. So becoming a realtor was exciting. It was new. My first year, my dad was generous enough to let me do some open houses and have a percentage of his listings. Um, so I forget how many I sold in the first year, but I think over 30 homes. Um, that was 2007. I was a terrible realtor. I was just an order taker. Um, market crashed in 2008. Of course, I had spent all my money at that point, bought myself a stupid sports car. I didn't really understand financial literacy yet. Um, but I was smart enough when I was 20 to save up a down payment to buy my first rental property. So I bought a half duplex back in a school in Promontory when I was 20. I'll never forget, I met my first tenant at Tim Hortons. Uh, and I filled up my first rental contract. No idea what I was doing. No mentorship. No one had taught me anything. I just thought buying a house would be a good idea. Uh, and at the very end of the thing, she go, I said, do you have any other questions for me? She's like, yeah, how old are you? And I was like, and I wanted to lie so bad, but I looked like I was, you know, 14 at the time, probably. And I was like, I'm 20 years old. And so she was my first tenant. Um, it turned out to be an awful experience. I didn't, um, do background checks. I didn't check references. I just assumed the best in people. Um, and after a year, she was no longer paying her rent. Um, it was December. She was avoiding my phone calls. I had decided to go check on the unit and it was basically destroyed. All the windows left open, doors went to, left open in the middle of winter and the furnace blasting. So after a year, I actually had to go gut the whole inside of a newer unit. Uh, and then refurbish it and then sell it. So it doesn't sound like the best experience on your first rental, but here we are 15 years later. Um, are you still buying rentals and have you continued to acquire? Well, what it did is it just taught me so much about it. So I was lucky enough that I remember buying the the, the duplex for 220,000. I know these are old numbers and it's absurd already. Um, and I sold it for 270,000. So my renovations to redo probably cost me 10. So I walked out with about $40,000 on my first rental. And that was more money than I had made in a year up to that point. So I thought, wow, this is a good idea. I just need to get better at it is what happened. Even though it's maybe not the numbers that we're seeing today, obviously valuations of money were a lot different at that point there too, which was uh, <laughs> obviously helpful from that perspective. So uh, what, like what Derek had mentioned there, uh, I, I want to circle back on that. You know, for a lot of people, that would be the end of their their journey. That would be the end of it. They wouldn't want to proceed too much further. Obviously, as you mentioned, you fixed up, sold it, and probably saw an opportunity there. What really, really kept you um, focused and driven in terms of continuing to go down that path of, of real estate as an investment? Again, just to dig a little deeper there. I don't know if I can put my finger on one thing. I mean, I'll never forget walking through my office at the first real estate company I started at. All the old guys in the office walk around with their coffee. And say, man, when I was your age, I wish I would have bought some real estate. So I thought, okay, I'll buy real estate whenever I can. It seems like a good idea. Uh, so that was one of them. Um, number two, I know I knew that I needed to make more money to be able to get into development. Um, and I wanted several sources of income. And so I wanted to be able to work on the job site, have an income, sell houses, make an income, and have my rental properties make an income. So I wanted several streams of income coming to one place. I mean, that's that's massive. We talk a lot about obviously having multiple sources of income if you can't work or you can't, obviously you see your portfolio, you know, uh, maybe uh, dwindle in terms of valuation or something happens with rentals or tenancy, like per perhaps would have happened there in COVID. You always wanna have multiple, uh, you know, legs to stand on. But where did you get that? I mean, a lot of people don't, 
think about that. I mean, we know it's true, at least in our situation, but what got you interested or, or uh, maybe the better word is what got you started thinking on having multiple streams of income because that's maybe a higher level of thinking so i got really lucky a couple times early in my career i ran into this book called rich dad poor dad um and i didn't really have a lot of mentors at the time that were older than me that told me to you know buy rentals or do certain things i mean my dad was a great example to look up to in terms of like hey he had done lots of developing built lots of houses um, but I read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then it talked about multiple streams of income and how to buy a house and what happens when you leverage. Um, and that that book resonated with me. I read it now. I read it every couple of years. I just read it you know, a couple of weeks ago on vacation. It's a little ruthless towards people who have a regular job. <laughs> um, and not everyone is an entrepreneur. But man, that book was like, that was the light that got me started. We talk to people all day, every day, and they just think that it's unrealistic to purchase a rental property, right? Like it seems so out of reach for so many people, whether you're working a job or you're self-employed, an entrepreneur, like there are so many ways to get into the market, even if it's small scale. And I mean, we've all seen what the market's done, even if you just look at the past 24 months, right? Like this can be absolutely life-changing let alone like people need to think about retirement nowadays, right? The amount of people that we see that are taking a new mortgage at 55, 60 years old, right? And we're talking seven, $800,000 loans. I mean, these people are going to have a tough time retiring. So getting into this at an early age is, is massive. And I think just starting the conversation with a real estate agent and, and a mortgage broker to understand where you stand is huge. Um, but knowing what you know now, if we want to kind of move on from the rental play, do you have any tips or suggestions to anyone listening? right now yeah like i'll back up a little bit so i bought my first rental and then i was like well i need to move out at some point so i bought my first townhouse i mean back then i had five percent down is all i could afford i mean a townhouse was 300 grand and so i paid my twenty thousand dollars of cmhc fees to get into it but now i had money for my rental i own my own place and now i i could start leveraging my money and then quickly i'm like well i should buy a house with a suite that just makes sense um, and that made sense because back then cash flow was really good. And we've hit a good cash flow period about a year ago again. And so then I bought a house with a suite where suddenly I was paying down a mortgage and cash flowing a thousand dollars a month, which now paid for my current mortgage. Um, and, and then, and then you're off to the races. Then it's just not fair if you start using your money correctly. A couple things. When you say 5% down and, and buying a rental property, I, I do recall the programs that were available 2007 to 2000, what was it, 8, 9 or whatnot, where you could do 5% down rentals, basically stated income, <laughs> qualify a little differently. But, um, you know, looking at where things are at today, I mean, it's just a different type of opportunity. So obviously, like from your perspective, you're seeing real estate every single day, you're, you're involved in the ins and outs of it. So um, that's part of it. But I, you just mentioned that the, the self-improvement factor, which is key, because again, like on our side, we see a lot of real estate uh, individuals, whether it's a developer or a mortgage broker or realtor or whatnot that have been in the industry for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're not diversified and they're not doing anything else and they're focused on their one thing, which is, again, we don't want to beat anybody up for focusing on your one thing and being good at it. But the challenge is then you have, like you said, no fallback. There's nowhere to go. And I think the 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 key from this and what I'm trying to get out is it's nice to see that you've focused a lot on the self-improvement aspect and continue to look for opportunities to grow as time went on, which is why you're involved in so many different things. So, you know, the real estate investment is one piece, but we've, we're going to touch on this as well. You've since then got involved in a couple different parts of real estate, which we want to touch on. And, and one of those is 
uh, development uh, as a whole. So we'd love to, maybe if you can give us, a, I know you've done a lot of development. So how did you get into it in the first place? Because that is something that we get asked all the time or just broadly, and I'm not a de- I've never developed before personally, so I can't speak from that perspective. How did you get into it? Because for a lot of people, that's that's like a scary step. That's a big step. And that's where there's you know a different level of opportunity. So maybe talk to that for a second. Yeah. When, when people say they can't get into the housing market right now or their kids can't get in, it actually just bothers me. Because you can get into a $400,000 townhouse for 5% down. You can get that $20,000. It is possible. And so too many people are just like, hands in the air, I'm never going to get into the market. And I disagree. Anyone can get into the market right now. And then you spend your five years paying off a mortgage or getting rent. And it's it's so doable for everyone today still, I promise you. Yeah. So when I hear people say it's impossible, I don't know. It is impossible for you then, I guess. But anyone can do it, I promise. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> Land development. Um, so I think it's, I was lucky enough to have a, have a dad who did development. So I, I knew it was possible. Um, I surrounded myself with a lot of people who were in the development business. Uh, and I read a bunch of books. And so I, d- I did the journey by myself, for sure. My dad had retired or was not involved anymore at that point. And so um, the number one struggle for me to get into development was actually the equity. Uh, Because it requires so much more money down compared to, you know, buying your first house for 5% down or buying a rental for 20% down. I mean, you have to be able to go to a bank and say, hey, I'm going to purchase this piece of land and this is my dream for it. Uh, And they look at you and think, I don't know if that's going to happen. And so you have to have a substantial amount of money down on the land and then be able to also further be able to finance whatever type of build you're doing. And so I, you know, you have to start small, you have to crawl and then you have to walk and then you have to jog and then you have to run. Um, And so my, my start was actually building houses. That's where I was able to turn over some money and I sucked at it at first and I didn't make any money at it hardly. Um, But as you get better at it, you just kind of get more efficient, make some money on houses. So when you say you built homes, does that mean you were purchasing a lot building? Were you building for a client? Yeah. Step one is I would buy a lot, uh, put a house on it and then bring it to market is what I would do. And so, I mean, I started, I think my first three houses I built was 2008, which is the worst possible time because that's when the market crashed. And so I spent a lot of money building them and then the market dropped off when they were ready. So what were some of the, I mean, obviously market is probably the biggest one, but outside of the market crashing, uh, what challenges did you run into on those first few builds? Because I know it can be challenging even today with trades, right? And I know when, after you, you've been in, in that industry for quite a while, you probably have some good trades that, that you can trust and, and the numbers are firm, right? Yeah, um, the overarching thing in my life now is the path is in the math. And so I didn't do the math early. Like I bought my first Mustang after my first year of real estate, had no money left, it was broke. It kind of was the same when I started building houses for the first time. I didn't do the math. I just assumed if you hired trades and they charged you what it was, and then you sold your house at what the market was selling, that you would make money. And I, I didn't have Excel spreadsheets. I didn't check the math. And so I was actually kind of hopeless when I first started. Um, and then you sell your houses and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't, there's no money in my account anymore. And so as you get better at it, it's, it's really all about the math. It's a non-emotional game and you just, if the math works, you do it. If the math doesn't work, you do not do it. And there has to be a piece here with timing, right? Because, you know, when someone comes to us and they say, hey, we want to buy this house and we're going to renovate and flip, like there's more risk there than buying a long-term rental property or buying an owner-occupied residence that you're going to live in for a long time because we don't know where the market's going to be in 
eight months when your renovation's done, right? So what do people need to consider there? I mean, just from experience, I think that people need to be able to hold a property, property potentially, if it's in a down market when you're done and ready to sell, right? And I mean, that could be crippling for someone if there is no fallback. Time heals all wounds, and that's so true in real estate. So if you make a bad purchase on your land development or your build, as long as you can hold it for a long period of time, you're going to be okay. Yeah. But unfortunately, in development, these are big numbers yeah. and you can't always hold for a long period of time because there's no cash flow associated with it, only costs. Yeah. Whereas when I buy a rental property, the risk is almost zero because yeah. I know that I'm going to hold it for five to 10 years. And in five to 10 years, there is no risk. I mean, the renters are going to pay my mortgage and housing in the Fraser Valley doubles every 11.2 years. And so there is no risk. Um, whereas development, there is big risk. Like people who are buying a renovation flip right now is not a good idea because the market is heading in the down direction. And so you can make that property as beautiful beautiful as you want, but there's not going to be markets in it right now. Let's go back on what you just said there. I want to highlight that. You just said buying a rental, there is little to no risk because you can hold on to it long term. I think anybody listening to this should hear that, especially after you started off the show telling us a little bit about what happened with your first <laughs> tenant. Um, but what I took away from what you just said there is all things are relative, right? Large amount of money versus small amount of money, but the intention long term is to hold that property. So generally speaking, if you can hold on to that real estate, which we also agree, we tell people this all the time, buy it with the intention and the ability to hold it. As long as you can do so, you'll be just fine in the long term, as you just mentioned there. So what I guess... Uh, that that's not an easy thing to initially uh, get your head wrapped around. For a lot of people, there's there's fear and concern. Sure, it might be easier because you're involved in the real estate market on a day to day basis, and you can look at the trends and statistics and what's going on. But how did you get yourself past that emotional kind of roller coaster of being, oh my gosh, I just got stung by this, or I got stung by this this new development I just uh, or this construction I just built at a poor time? Like, how did you push that away and get back at it? Because I think that's an interesting characteristic that a lot of people just don't have that resiliency. Yeah, good good point. Well, good point. It is true. Um, I think no matter what, when you first start, you're going to be emotional. I don't think there's any way around it. Like you can tell people the path is in the math. You can surround yourself with people who are doing the same things. You can read the books, but it's actually just emotional. Like it is your hard earned money you are putting into a piece of property and hoping that it appreciates. Um, and so I've just been fortunate enough that I've been doing this for 16 years. And so I've just seen what happens over that amount of time. Um, but, but what happens now is, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people saying, oh man, the market's gone up so much. I should have bought a rental. So they jump in emotionally now to buy a rental. Now the market's going downhill and they're like, shoot, maybe I should have been in the stock market. And then they jump out of the rental that they've owned for six months and it doesn't make any sense. You have to, yeah, take the emotion out and be, be ready to go long-term and you're going to do fantastic. Yeah, I, we, we agree. We agree. <laughs> Let's get back here for a second on track with the, uh, so I, I, I know we kind of circled around here, but we're going to go back to the development piece for a minute here because I think I still want to um, jump into, so you got into development by building homes. And so how did that transition, you know, aside from the obvious of maybe having some more money, uh, to play with, but how did that transition into that development? What was your first development opportunity? Um, and if we're, if someone's listening to this today and, and this is one of their goals and dreams in the next, whatever, one, three, five, ten years, where where should they start? What's one of the best opportunities to get involved in development? You start small. So I think one of my first one was a little lot split where I bought a house, I demoed the house, and then I turned it into two lots. And I built a house on each lot. Uh, kept One is rental property, and then I sold off the other lot is what I had done actually at that time. Um, and so it's just start small, right? 
Um, I mean, the next one I think I did is I bought a small piece of commercial property. Um, and then I went through everything in the book. It was beside a Creek. It had bad access to city roads. I had to rezone it. I had to get a development permit. I had to chop down trees that were like, I don't want to say heritage trees, but it'd been there for a hundred years. and was an issue. Um, and I put up, um, a small apartment with commercial below it. So five apartments and 6,000 square feet of commercial below it. So you just one step at a time is what you do. Now, in these ventures, did you have partners? Were you doing this on your own? Uh, mentors, support? Uh, where did you get your, uh, I mean, who was your support network? I haven't had a lot of support network for this. Uh, I kind of just went at it myself. So you can do it by yourself. Um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't given money. I didn't have partners that came in initially. Now in some bigger projects, I'll talk about it in a little bit. We have brought some partner money in. Um, but no, it was, it was Cam selling houses. I'll never forget. I was building that one on the five apartments with the commercial below. Um, I had put all my money into the project, every last dollar. And then I went to the bank for my final meeting to talk about interest rates and take out loans. And I was only halfway through building it. And my banker at the time said, sorry, Cam, we've lost our appetite. And I was like, I don't understand. He's like, we're not going to finance this project. And I had put every last dollar into this project, had no money left and the bank left me high and dry. He said, hey, you're a good kid. I'll give you some phone numbers to some other bankers. And so I literally walked out thinking, I'm going to go broke today. I don't know how to finish this building. All my money's into it. And so I hit the pavement and started calling as many banks as possible. But what I also did is I went to town selling real estate. And so I, I was fortunate enough to be selling you know, 70, 80 plus houses per year. Um, and so I upped the game. So I got to 100 sales a year. I needed the money to be able to finish projects. Did you retain that building as rental? Yeah, so I still own it today. Um, I'll give a little bit of numbers. That building cost me, uh, I think, $2.1 million to build. Um, it's <clears throat> currently worth about $4.5 million. Um, and I've refinanced it a couple of times and I grab every last dollar out of it and I move it to new projects. So that building has been nothing but fantastic for me. Um, the rent on it, I don't know, I probably get... Fourteen or fifteen thousand dollars a month rent from that building still. So, wow. so my last question on development timelines. Timelines are terrible currently. Have they always been terrible? Uh, they're getting worse, um, but they've never been great. And so, I mean, there's so many layers to get into development. I like it. I like it because it's the least emotional thing I do. Um, the path is in the math, so I'm not going to do something unless I have a twenty percent profit on it per year. Is my game plan. Um, that doesn't always happen, but if, it, if it's low profit, I am not jumping in. Um, I think you have to expect it's going to take three years at this point. So any subdivisions I'm doing from day one of purchase to uh, you know a substantial completion from the city is is three years. Um, I have one right now. We're at five years actually. So it's this this game is not quick anymore. It's exceptionally slow. When you do your numbers, are you factoring in a consistent level of appreciation? I don't I don't Zero. factor in appreciation at all. Um, I'm maybe too conservative. I'm, I just assume the project will be worth what I'm paying today in five years from now or three years from now. Um, and same thing for like for a rental property. I don't take what rent is today. I go back a couple of years and see what the average has been to know that I can survive if we have a market downturn. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, let's, uh, I think we're, we're going to go, we've kind of gone all over the place. I, I love where the development piece is going. And I think there was some good feedback for anybody taking, uh, well, everybody should be taking some notes on a lot of the information here. Timelines, uh, obviously the amount of capital uh, potentially required, uh, sourcing and looking for different sources of lending. And that's something obviously we see and come across as well. But I, I would like to touch back on the rental piece just because it's so, so, 
um, what's the word here, relevant to a lot of the, our listeners. And, you know, you've talked about purchasing your first rental, the poor experience that you had. You've mentioned now a few times getting educated re- through reading a couple of books, um, but you keep using the same terminology. You keep saying uh, the path is in the math. I'd like you to explain what that means and uh, what you're talking about there so we can understand how to break that down for our listeners. I mean, that takes the emotion out of it. So if the math makes sense, you do it. Um, there's this thing called a pro forma. I'm sure you guys have talked about this on your show before, but basically what is a cash projection to the future? And so I usually do a pro forma for five years. So I'll look at a property. Um, now again, where this is a whole nother topic, like I don't like crappy gross properties. I want a house that's seven years old or newer. I really care about tenant profile and location because I want people taking care of my stuff. I don't want a bad tenant profile. And so I'll just look at it. And if, if I can refinance or pull some money and, and buy something and hold it for five years, I mean, my, my on average numbers is I'm going to make about $500,000 per rental every five years. That's just, just round math. Everyone's obviously a little bit different. Um, I don't know. Is that, is that your answer your question at all? Definitely does. I mean, so yes, we, we talk about, uh, or I, I think we have on many episodes before talking about performance and removing the emotion from investing just in general is obviously uh, something that you always want to consider. Um, you know, the, the other factor that we had, you had pointed out or that you had brought up in some of the notes that we'd uh, discussed previously was in regards to different ways that you earn income. So that when we talk about the path is math, we're not just talking about purely uh, the, the cash flow in the property, but we're also talking about things like the principal pay down, which for some reason, no matter how many times we bring it up it is the one thing that just often is missed it's uh, nobody it's not the sexy one right it's not the sexy one right so i i preach this to my to my investors or my realtors that i teach so i actually when i look at a rental property it's actually broken down into three sections and i i i use the analogy of going for dinner so if i go for dinner i go for dinner and so dinner is my principal repayment that is the number one reason i buy a rental property is i want principal repayment now sometimes if i go for dinner i'll get an appetizer that appetizer is cash flow. Sometimes in the real estate market, cash flow is there. Sometimes it isn't. So a year, year and a half ago, we had amazing cash flow. That cash flow is gone right now. Doesn't mean I'm not going to buy a rental because I still care about eating dinner. Now, sometimes when I go for dinner, I'll have a dessert. That dessert is appreciation. So sometimes real estate appreciates like crazy, uh, which is a nice bonus, but I'm not in it for the appreciation. I'm in it for dinner. So if I own, what do I own? 18 doors right now. They're going to pay down a lot of money every single month uh, in mortgage repayment and in whatever X amount of years, 25 years, they'll be paid off. And I own all of that real estate free and clear, but I'm going to have moments of cash flow and moments of appreciation. And those are the fun times. So agreed on all of the above. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about locations here. So again, you've got some experience investing primarily in the Fraser Valley uh, from what I heard from you and developing close to home. There's nothing wrong with that because you understand, you know, the area you sell real estate there. Um, have you, uh, Cam, personally, I'm just curious, have you uh, uh, invested outside of the uh, Fraser Valley or Chilliwack region? The answer is yes. Um, yeah, it's so, so investing is just fun. Like after a while, this is actually just a cool thing to do. So I was lucky enough to purchase some waterfront property in the Shushwap several years ago in Scotch Creek. Um, again, at the time, you're like, oh my goodness, this is $500,000. How am I going to afford it? And now that thing is worth eight or $900,000 and it's a great rental in the summer. Um, we've diversified because the Pacific Northwest is cold and crappy. Um, so we have a house down in California that we get to enjoy. Um, I would like to go buy something in Texas. Texas appeals to me. They're pro-business. And so I feel like I've hit the point where I have a great portfolio in the Fraser Valley. And now it's actually just fun to own property kind of in different places in the world. So. 
So do you ever have, I mean, I'm, this is curious more than anything else, Cam. Do you ever have any concerns that you're spreading yourself too thin because you're involved in so many different assets? Do you ever have any like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to start focusing on more on this area just to, to specialize in it or, or, or is it something else? So am I spread thin? Yes. Do I love it? Yes. Like, and I don't know if I could just sell real estate or just own a brokerage or just do construction. Like, like I like it all. Um, and there's some days where I sit there, I'm like, I'm actually a little bit bored right now because I have great people that work for me and a great team um, and things are going good. And there's other days where I'm underwater. There's just too many people phoning me at the same time. And I'm like, what the heck did I get myself into? Um, and I think it's just the journey. I really enjoy it. Um, and I don't know if I could just sit at home and golf all the time or, or climb mountains, which I enjoy doing both. But I really enjoy the diversity. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so one of the keys in terms of success of, of growing not only the portfolios, but running your business and a variety of the other uh, things that you're involved in is a few things that we know to be true. Number one, having a clear process or system or structure to, to running um, those businesses or assets, if you will. Um, and uh, obviously that is, I'll, actually I'll stop there and I'll, I'll touch on that really quickly first. How are you able to, or what do you do to develop the systems and structure? And then how are you able to take your foot off the gas and, and give up control to uh, successfully run these multiple different entities? Yeah, there's a couple of questions there. So uh, my wife is amazing and she is a chartered accountant. Um, and so I think a lot of my early learning uh, was probably without her. And then, you know, we're a team now. And so, I mean, we do monthly spreadsheets. We do our finance update every single month. So I know exactly where our cash flow is at, our rentals are at, our mortgage repayments are at. So we do that monthly. So if you're getting into it, that I think that's a non-negotiable. You need to know where you're at monthly. It's really important. Um, so my wife has been really good at kind of setting up those systems. So if you don't have a wife that's an accountant, which is most people, um, hire a really good accountant or a really good bookkeeper. They're, they're an integral part of your business. You need to know where your numbers are at. Um, and then I've, I've hired some really good staff to help out with some things, right? So I still probably do too many things myself, um, but I have great people in place that, that do a lot of help. Awesome. Love it. I mean, that's uh, key. Derek, go ahead, sir. Just hearing you talk about this, you definitely get addicted to the pace, right? The fast paced environment, multiple things on the go. I mean, when, when things tend to slow down, you're right, you do kind of get bored. But I think that anyone getting into this and trying to diversify, I mean, you think about a financial advisor that you speak to, they're going to diversify your money in stocks and bonds and, and gold and you name it, right? So it's just interesting listening to all this. People think about, I want to be a realtor. Right. And that's great. And a real estate agent can lead to so many different avenues. You can get into development. You can get in, it, it just gets your mind on rental properties. You can get into building. I mean, even the mortgage side of it. Right. Like there is so many there are so many jobs and, and streams of income tied to real estate in general that you don't have to focus on one. Right. I think you should dial one in and have a consistent revenue stream um, and then look to spread. I, I think some of the initial start of getting outside of real estate was just the fear of the future. And so when you're a realtor, you're not sure if you're going to sell a house next month. And so I could have been selling 70 houses a year, but I didn't know if I was going to sell a house next week. I was always scared for some reason. I just didn't have that confidence. Um, and even today, I still sell houses. I'm like, oh, am I going to sell one next month? And so I felt like I needed other streams of income to make sure that I was safe. And so I needed that rental property. I needed the brokerage. I needed whatever, uh, which is funny when I look back at it now. Um, but it's it's a... Being an entrepreneur is scary. You don't know where your next paycheck always comes from, even if you do the right systems. So side note for you here, knowing that you have the skills to build and buy land, what do you do for primary residents? Like, are you, do you typically build your own homes? Do you live there? Like there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of benefit in building and finding profit in a primary residence, right? Like the tax-free component there. Yeah, great question. Um, we didn't even touch on this at all. So I have probably moved 10 times in 10 years. The government would hate me for this. Um, but I would build a house, live in it, make my profit, move on to the next one. Build a house, live in it. And so my youngest son went to kindergarten this year and I am not moving anymore. So I'm, I've built my dream house. Dream house is relative. I mean, you just have to be content with what you have. But, the, but what I would say is the little boy in me got to build a house. So I got my cool wood beams and my little man house and some fun stuff now. And I really want to stay there so that my kids have you know, a stable childhood and I really enjoy the spot. Um, but yeah, I, I really took advantage of the tax-free equity that you can make and then move on to the next project. Let's touch on your last venture and then we can cap it because I think there's a lot of different uh, directions we can go here. Uh, Cam, you uh, are obviously running a real estate team, but you also have a brokerage. So we'd like to quickly highlight uh, when you got involved with that and uh, why. Why did you get involved with that piece of it? Because you, you weren't tired of doing all the other things you were doing? Or? I mean, I, I talk about sports has been very important in my life. Um, and so while I was younger, my real estate career, I was coaching basketball at the local high school. And when I was a kid, I thought basketball was the end all be all. And then you start coaching basketball and you're like, well, wait a minute, this is way more rewarding than playing basketball ever was. I love coaching and teaching and helping and like teaching these young dudes how to be men and kind of go through the hardships of life. And that was where I was like, you know what? I want to teach and help and coach in real estate. I know how to sell houses, but I really want to make a difference. And so I you know, got all the licensing possible. And in 2016, I started my own office. Uh, my office at the time found out and they kicked me out of the office. Don't blame them at all. I would have done the same thing. Um, and so I started with me and my assistant and two other realtors in the den of my house in 2016. Um, and we are six years later now. So we have 115 agents. Uh, we did about 1.3 billion in sales last year. I think we're number 18 in the world for Century 21. So we've had insane growth, more than I ever thought we would have. We're definitely uh, sitting here, Derek and I, thinking, okay, where do we go with this one here next? Because <laughs> there's a lot to dig into when it comes to the real estate brokerage. But I mean, ultimately, um, you know, looking through this entire list of comments and, and just this overall conversation here, there's a few things that stand out from uh, my perspective, obviously, that you had said multiple times. Number one, know your numbers. Uh, you said path is in the math. Uh, so know your numbers is obviously massive and key number two action um you know for a lot of people they they're uh commonly and perhaps our listeners maybe this will give them a little bit of comfort to to move forward and give them that extra gusto we don't know for a fact what is going to happen so know your numbers uh, high and low but also take action because you know like you said before building your first couple of homes you made some mistakes and i know it sounds cliche but that's the only way you learn right um it, you know in addition to that diversification and having multiple streams of income being uh, extremely helpful in different areas of life and of course if we see business um, or sorry one business uh, maybe teeter off you have the opportunity to, to build and grow from a different area. Um, Cam is there anything else to that that you would want to you know say to our listeners as far as just an overall summary of you know why and how you're getting involved in these different things and how you can continue to do so? There's one that, that stands out big time it's education. So there are way bigger developers than me and way better developers. There's way better realtors, way better brokerages out there. Um, and so it's, I feel honored to be able to be on here and talk about some of these things, but there's people that are just way better at these things than I am. And I was lucky enough early in my journey to start reading books uh, and learn as much as possible. So I think I don't care who you are or where you're at, if you have an attitude of learning and you get better, um, that's the game changer. I can't even tell you how many books I read a year. Um, and I continue to read a lot of books every year. You go into you know finance and money and character. There's a million things to do. Um, I was lucky enough to start that early in my journey. 
That's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll cap it there because uh, a lot of great information. And for all the listeners in the show here, if you want to find Cam, I, I will have his information in the show notes. You can find him on obviously all the typical social media channels. If you're a real estate agent and you're interested in, in uh, le- learning more about Cam and his brokerage, of course, we'll put some links to that as well so you can find out more about what they're doing there in uh, in Chilliwack. Uh, Cam, thanks so much for having or coming on <laughs> the show here today. We appreciate you and uh, we're looking forward to uh, likely the next conversation.